From the San Luis Valley in southern Colorado, this is Solace Radio. Shalom and welcome to Torah Kai, God's teachings of life from Congregation Zion Sake, a Messianic Jewish congregation located on the corner of Dimby Boulevard and Shields Road in Newport News, Virginia. Our biblical mandate as Jewish believers is to be a light unto the world by sharing Yeshua, Jesus the Jewish Messiah, to the Jew first, then the nations as prescribed in Romans 1.16, bringing God's plan of salvation to the ends of the earth. We hope you enjoy today's teaching. Ten Commandments. The Decalogue or the Ten Commandments is the first fruits of over 613 commandments or mitzvahs given by God to us in Torah. The Ten Commandments, which notice is not the Ten Recommendations, (laughs) reveal God's instructions relating to morals, ethics, and worship of Him. The commandments include instructions to worship only God, to honor one's parents, to keep Shabbat, as well as prohibitions against idolatry, blasphemy, murder, adultery, theft, dishonesty, and coveting. We refer to Exodus 19 and Deuteronomy 5 as the Ten Commandments, yet neither of those two passages reference themselves as the Ten Commandments. As we know from our friend Rabbi Tokajer from Brit Am in Florida, the only reference to ten words or anything close to the Ten Commandments is found in Exodus 34, Starting in verse 27, there's probably a few of you here who haven't heard this before. Adonai said to Moshe, write these words down, because they are the terms of the covenant that I've made with you and with Israel. Moshe was there with Adonai 40 days and 40 nights, during which time he neither neither ate food nor drank water. That's a fast. Adonai wrote on the tablets the words of the covenant, the ten words. Hasaret in Hebrew, which is ten hadavarim, words in Hebrew, the ten words. What occurred between Exodus 20 and the command spoken by God, then repeated to Moshe to the people of Israel, and these ten words? Well, it was the golden calf incident in Exodus 32. Though God had given the first ten, the first fruits of the 613 instructions, the verbal command and instructions alone wouldn't be enough. Israel needed to walk this out to have it become part of their life, to live and walk out who they were to become, just as we must. We struggle with the same issues today that Israel did 3,700 years ago. The children of Israel had lived in Egypt for several hundred years, 230, 240 years. They had become immersed, imbued, overwhelmed, subjected to, and infused with Egyptian culture. They had conformed to Egyptian fashions. They lived in mixed neighborhoods with the Egyptians. They ate Egypt's foods. They kept Egypt's calendar. They participated in Egyptian worship and their multitude of gods. How can I say such a thing? Where do you think they got the idea for the golden calf? We see the children of Israel in diaspora in Egypt with no culture, no vision, and no hope. There was absolutely nothing biblical or what would we come to, to know as Jewish about them. And when God spoke to Israel from atop Mount Sinai, this is the condition of the group with whom he's speaking to. God's words were powerful at that specific moment of time, right then and there. But as soon as Moshe went up to the mountain again, into the presence of God, the people returned to what they knew. Familiar spirits took over. And what did they know? And lived their whole life in Egypt. Well, they lived Egyptian culture, their lifestyle, and worship. They went back to what they knew. 
This has pervaded our nation and culture as Jews throughout history. There isn't a more powerful example of this than what's recorded in this week's Divine Mentor reading in the book of Judges earlier in the week. Judges 21 verse 25 says, At that time, there was no king in Israel. A man simply did whatever he thought was right. Yeshar in the Hebrew, which means straight, upright, correct, uh, just, proper, or righteous. And this brings us back to where I started. God's commands, his instructions, his mitzvahs. In our society today, we mimic the same time period in Israel's history. There's no moral or social boundaries. Whatever person, whatever a person believes to be right or righteous or correct in their own eyes is what they do. The problem is we don't judge ourselves in the kingdom of God. You hear me? We don't judge ourselves in the kingdom of God. We don't define the metric of judgment. We don't establish the boundaries of judgment. God does. Adonai is our judge. He judges according to what? His word. His own written word. Not what everyone feels right or is righteous to themselves. In Psalms 103, starting at verse 17, But the mercy of Adonai on those who fear him is from eternity past to eternity future. And his righteousness extends to his children's children. (laughs) Here's a caveat. Verse 18. Provided they keep his covenant and remember to follow his precepts. So God's mercy is upon those who fear him. His righteousness extends to your children's children if you keep his covenants and follow his precepts. Verse 19. Adonai has established his throne in heaven His kingly power rules everything. He is the judge in the end. He determines who goes and who doesn't go. Listen, submitting to and obeying God, hear me out for a second, submitting to and obeying God is hard. It's hard. His instructions themselves, that's not what's difficult. In fact, they're quite simple and easily understood, and they're easy to follow. What's hard is denying the flesh. What's hard is overcoming ourselves, our human nature, and doing whatever we want. Everyone's got their own standard of righteousness, what they think is right or isn't right. Some of those reconcile to God's word, some of those do not. Leviticus 17.11 says the life is in the blood. Do you know at the three to four week after conception, there's a heartbeat. And guess what's pumping through those veins inside the the womb of the mother? What is it? Oh. And yet how many people who profess to be believers vote pro-choice? This is a prime example. I'm not going on a tangent this evening. But as Yeshua said, their lips speak deceit and their honor of me is, is far away. Oh, yes, hallelujah, we love you, God. Oh, no, wait a minute, I, I'm a, I'm a pro-choice. Well, that's an oxymoron. Because you're either a murderer or you're submitted to God. You're not in the kingdom of God and pro-murder. It doesn't work that way. The hard part of the kingdom is self-control. It's difficult. This is where the struggle comes into play for every individual. Doing whatever one thinks right is easy because there's no internal struggle. There's no accountability. There's no battle. When you submit to the flesh, it's, hey, how easy is it to miss a Shabbat? Listen, for me, it's, it's a little more difficult. I'll be honest. There's a few times at 5 o'clock on a Friday afternoon, I'm thinking, man, if I wasn't speaking. <laughs> but the next week, how easier? And the third week, how even easier? 
And then pretty soon it's like, oh, I haven't been there in four months. It becomes, that's easy. The hard part is the struggle to keep and honor what's holy unto God. In fact, isn't this how we ended up with the golden calf? Yeah. Let's go back to Exodus 32, starting at verse 22. Moshe comes down from the mountain. He goes to his brother. He's inquiring, what in the world happened? And Aaron replies, my Lord shouldn't be so angry. You know these people are, you know what they're like? They're determined to do evil. Now, that is so human. The minute someone approaches you with some form of either rebuke or correction, immediately what happens, oh, well, see, you know, it's those people over there. It's my wife, she, it's my husband, him, it's my children, it. We want to redirect that away from us and get it somewhere else. So, you know, my Lord, you know how these guys are. They're just evil. 23, listen to him. So they said to me, make us gods to go ahead of us because this Moshe, this man that brought us up from the land of Egypt, we don't know what's become of him. We talked about this a couple of months ago. That's an outright lie. They know where he is. He'd already been up there before, come back. Now he's up there again. Verse 24 says, and I answered them, anyone with gold, strip it off. So they gave it to me and I threw it in the fire and out came this calf. <laughs> Poop, out it come. Listen, no struggles, no difficulties. This is no work of art. That, you know, it just popped out of the fire. Adelaide knew after this incident that words alone weren't, words are important, don't get me wrong, but it's not enough. His kingdom is one of spirit, truth, and power. And, and I want to pause for a minute and, and look at something parallel to this in our, on our own country and why. This gets to the root of what's happening generation to generation. We had a very interesting speaker. I guess uh, it was probably 10 or 11 years ago at the Messiah Conference. Uh, and he was, had his doctorate in sociology, but he was a Messianic Jew. And you know, you know what's amazing? The Southern Pacific Rim nations, uh, like Somalia and the island nations, uh, not Somalia, but uh, Samoa, they're an open receiving culture and have absolutely no bias against skin color or culture. None. So then he began working backwards. Why don't they have this? And guess what his resources brought him back to? Hellenism and Greco-Roman education. Through the education system that we espouse in the West and all throughout Europe, guess what's taught? This goes all the way back to Alexander the Great. Guess what's taught? There's one race that's superior, and everyone else is the subservient slave race. But in the regions that aren't exposed to this, now, you wonder, hey, we had the civil rights movements. 40-plus years ago. We ended slavery 150 years ago. Why are we still dealing with this? Because your kids are going to college, and they're being inculcated with this day after day after day. And, and what is that? Classic Greco-Roman philosophy and education. I want to read something from the American Renewal Project written by David Lane. It's just a couple of short paragraphs here, but it's truth. In 17th century America, our forefathers, I'm talking about America now, adopted the Torah. The Torah model, the base of education that emphasized character, righteousness, and virtue as that which distinguishes nations and citizens. The foundation of these traits was the word of God. The founders believed that without a moral component, education is of little value to those described as shoddy moral character, prone to wickedness and simple nastiness, and devoid of good sense and moral communications. Moral, I'm sorry, and moral compunctions. The Torah-based model of education emphasizes virtue 
as the key to shaping a nation's character and that God's loyalty and fidelity is what guards a nation. Therefore, as Solomon advised, righteousness distinguishes and exalts an individual and a nation. The framers of the Constitution were imbued with the virtues of wisdom, knowledge, insight, prudence, cunning, discretion, learning, guidance, counsel, understanding, competence, and resourcefulness. They understood that politics operated downstream from culture and that good government and morality are intrinsically connected. This almost seems naive 240 years later. Yet that's our foundations. He goes on to say that's the reason early American education centered on incorporating the character of God into America's youth. The founders rejected secularism's model, which focused solely on the mind, content, and intellect. Spiritual wisdom belongs to a different category of value than secular learning. Hence, the founders placed value and priority on biblical truth, like righteousness exalts a nation. They knew that virtue is an essential component of freedom. So they made compulsory the depositing of Scripture deeply into the soil of America's educational and civil institutions. From generation to generation, the founders wanted to ensure sustainable freedom. I want to add to this. The first book Congress authorized to to print in the United States of America was, guess what? The Bible. And you know what it was for? Primers in elementary school to teach the kids how to read. Oh, how far we've come! You know the difference between the New York Times and the Jerusalem Post? Well, other than the obvious. You know what's on the front of the New York Times? Let's pick the, the the Washington Post. You know, pick any of them. They've got the horoscope. You know what's on the front page of the Jerusalem Post every day? The Torah reading. See the difference? It seems minute, but yet horoscopes or astrology are the occult, and that's what we put in our newspaper. You'll never find that in an Israeli newspaper. Is Israel perfect? No. Do they have some of the problems we have? Yes. But the children are trained differently than ours are here. It goes on to say, today our children sit in a public classroom eight hours a day or more and are are immersed into human secularism. That's not even the worst of it. The worst of it is when we send them to college and they get away from parental control. Listen, this, this isn't the school's fault. This is our fault. Because we've allowed this secularism to creep into the school boards. Who hears on a, on a school board anywhere in the area? Who's on the, on, who's on the sub-curriculum committee of every school district in, on the peninsula alone or in Hampton Roads? Who's on one of those committees? Boy, is it quiet in here and there's no hands being raised. So ultimately, whose fault is it? It rests right here. The buck stops here and here and here and here and here. Our children are taught that immorality and sin is normal behavior and to tolerate religions of the world. There's been school districts in the Commonwealth of Virginia that spend a week dressed in Islamic clothing and pull out a mat and learn to pray Islamic prayers five times. But you can't, as a believer, meet before school with your Bible and pray. That's, that's against the law. You know, Daniel talks about when good becomes evil and evil becomes, huh. He said it would be in that day. You're in that day. This is exactly where Israel was at spiritually when out popped the golden calf. The kingdom of heaven, God's instructions and precepts are something that you do. You live them. You walk them out. Teaching and talking, it's necessary. In fact, we're commanded to teach them to the children when they rise, when they sit, 
when we're walking on the highways and the byways of Deuteronomy, right after the Shema, we're told to fill our children with this. But it's not enough. God's Word is to be lived out in your life, not just talked about. Listen, we don't make money on these satyrs. We lose money. You know, here's an amazing kingdom principle. And I don't want you to think, this reveals human nature. We did our first Seder, what, 17, 18 years ago. And we wanted everyone's heart to capture this. It was just free. Just come. Matter of fact, Rabinsonite, we did all the cooking. We bought all the plates. We bought all the utensils. We set up. We had it over in the gym. We literally, the two of us, literally set everything up. It, it took us 10 hours to get this thing ready. You know, we had 350 people signed up on the list. You know who came? About 65. And I learned something right then and there. You know why that is? Because they're not vested. If, if somebody pays just five dollars, we don't actually we don't have to charge money for the seder. But two thirds of you would sign up, and twenty people would show up. I'm not talking the world. I'm talking inside the body. Oh, well, it's raining tonight. <laughs> I just stay home. I'm going to really lay it on now. Happy you weren't here last Friday. Not one of your houses was hit by a tornado. Oh, it's windy. Walmart was packed. And you're legions ahead of other places. You already have the Messianic concept and understanding. But it's not here yet. It's not here. Because when you dabble in something, you'll do it when it interests you. But when you're committed, you'll accept no excuses. The book of Hebrews really gives us a profound insight regarding covenant living. And this is what I'm talking about. And judgment. And he's speaking this to the Messianic believers in Yeshua. This is the first century. The temple's still present. And he's revealing this information in Hebrews 4, starting at verse 9. He says, so there remains a Shabbat keeping for God's people. So much for it's done away with. For the one who has entered God's rest has also rested from his own works, as God did from his. Therefore, let us do our best to enter that rest, so that no one will fall short because of the same kind of disobedience. And if you go back and read this, you know what he's talking about? The exodus from Egypt. He's talking about the golden calf, the murmuring, the the, the uh, grumbling. Oh, you brought us out here to die. How many times do we read that in numbers? And, oh, you brought us out here to die. It goes on to say, see, the word of God is what? Alive. Now, for the millionth and fifty-seventh time, I'm going to say this. When the author wrote this, there's no New Testament. 350 years in the future is the New Testament that you have in your lap today. So, and, and this is interesting as to who we think wrote this. Whoever wrote it is not referring to the Shah. He's not referring to Matthew, James, and John. He's not referring to Galatians. He's referring to one book only, the Tanakh. And he says that that word is what? It's alive. The word's alive. It's at work. And it's sharper than any double-edged sword. It cuts right through to where the soul meets the spirit and the joints meet the marrow. It's quick to judge the inner reflections and attitudes of the heart. That's where we started. I'm telling everyone in this room right now, including myself, we are not capable of judging ourselves based upon our own spirits, minds, and conscience. Because in the flesh, you are incapable of doing it. But if you reconcile what you do to the Word of God, you've begun planning yourself and reconciling to the Word of God. And it's bit by bit 
by bit. This August will be my ninth year of this journaling and the divine mentor that we're doing. Nine years later, every week I see something I've never seen before in the Word of God. Every week. It almost gets to be tchotchke. I'm like, I, you're not gonna, I can't believe I'm going to say this again. But I've never seen this before till today when I'm journaling. Why? Because it's alive. It's a living being. You're not a five-year-old anymore. You're not a ten-year-old anymore. You're not 20. You're not 40. You see how this works? And as you grow and mature, so does the Word of God within you. And it is the two-edged sword. And it's the judge. When it's in your heart, it's the judge. And so you do something, you get that conviction. That's the Word of God alive doing its work in you. When I, it's happened to me so many times, I, you know, because I like to mess around. I like to have a little fun. But the problem is, like I said last week, I think out loud. And I'll say something, and immediately, and I've gone back to, I'm so sorry, I apologize. No, 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 I get it, it was, no, I was immediately convicted. And I've got to come back and make it right. But that word's got to be in here, not laying on your lap. And see, that's the problem. In Mount Sinai, Israel, they heard it. Oh, yeah, okay, we do. And a few days later, what are they doing? ripping out gold earrings and nose rings to make the golden calf. Huh. It was here, but it wasn't here. It goes on to say that it cuts right to where spirited joints meet marrow, verse 12, and it's quick to judge the inner reflections and attitudes of the heart. That's your basis of emotions. Unfortunately, so many young people and even older people, they follow their hearts, not the Word of God. And it's what gets them in trouble. It gets them in trouble in relationships. It gets them in trouble with the heart's desire. For worldly things. Verse 13, before God, nothing created is hidden, but all things are naked and open to the eyes of him to whom we must render an account. Here's one of the most profound secrets you can pick up this year as we come into Passover. You are not keeping that thing a secret from God. Your spouse may not know. Your children may not know. Your parents may not know. You may, have been holding, you may be harboring this for 15, 20, 30, 60 years. I don't know. You know. But there's one person it's not hidden from, and that's God. There's no secrets. He knows your walk. He knows all about every one of your golden calves. He knows about your idols. He knows if you're living a covenant word-based life or not. His word's alive, and when you dive into it, the word does its work. Your heart's circumcised. There's repentance and healing and righteous living. Remove the word and replace it with something else, like in the result in today's society, and that of 3,700 years ago is, poop, out comes a golden calf. <laughs> Moshe went up the mountain the second time he received the Aseret HaDavarim, the ten words. But this time, this time these words are a little different. And, and why is that? To establish a covenant based upon action, words, and the supernatural. This time in Exodus 34, verse 10, remember he said, Here I am making a covenant in front of all of your people, and I will do wonders as have not been created anywhere on the earth or in any nation. This is still unfolding before us today. Can a nation be born in a day? This is the 50th anniversary of the Jubilee of the Restoration of Jerusalem after 2,000 years. Isaiah 11, before the first scattering, said God would gather us in the second time. He wrote that 2,700 years ago. It's mind-boggling. This is the signs and wonders God's talking about. And he says, all the people around you will see the work of Adonai. What I'm going to do through you will be awesome. 
God promises that in covenant with him, the world, the nations, people around you will clearly see something different. You will walk in the supernatural. In fact, this is the Exodus story, the physical redemption from slavery in Egypt and our Exodus story and salvation from sin in Yeshua, who died at Pesach as the Lamb of God. Moshe received even more profound oracles from God the second time. Exodus 20 established the first ten, the first fruits of the mitzvahs. In Exodus 20, number one, he says, I'm the Lord thy God, which has brought thee out of the land of Egypt. I challenge you in the next week, go back and and take a stroll through Scripture and see how many times God describes himself as the God who brought us out of the land of Egypt. It's in Kings. It's in the prophets, both the minor and the major. It's in all the Psalms. It's in the Proverbs. God repetitively says, yo, yo, remember me? Remember those ten plagues? Remember that? Remember the angel of death? Remember the walls of water? God says, that was me. Remember, this is who's talking. He says, I'm the one who brought thee out of the land of Egypt and out of the house of bondage. Thou shalt have no other gods before me. I just use this language because I had Charlton Heston up there. That's the way he talked in a movie. <laughs> Number two, thou shalt not make unto thee any graven image, no, no idols. Number three, thou shalt not take the name of the Lord thy God in vain. Number four, remember Shabbat, Zachor. Of those ten, it's the only one that says, remember. Funny, here we are, 3,700 years later, a lot of people don't remember. Keep it holy. Five, honor thy father and thy mother so that you may live long in the land which the Lord your God has given you. Critical to covenant living. Thou shalt not murder. Man, I just love this. I like to see somebody picketing somewhere, well-intentioned people, and they got signs out, God says, thou shalt not kill. Never says that. They picket outside prisons when corporal punishment's going down. The Lord says, he, he never said that. What he said was, thou shalt not murder. That's completely different from killing. Thou shalt not commit adultery. <laughs> In a country with a 65% divorce rate, thou shalt not steal. Thou shalt not bear false witnesses against thy neighbor. Thou shalt not covet thy neighbor's house, wife, animals, or anything else. And don't get me wrong, these are the words of the Lord. They stand true. These commands establish the relational and interrelational covenant between God and individuals and between us, our interrelationship. Heaven isn't about religion. It's about love and relationship. These ten commandments are the first fruits of the 613 total instructions given to Mount Sinai. This is the covenant, the whole thing. They're all the covenant. The ten words, the Aseret Hadavarim, are you ready? It's the terms of the covenant. It's the terms of the covenant. In Exodus 34, starting at verse 27, the Lord said to Moshe, write these words down because these are the terms. Earlier it says, these are my commands. This says, this is the terms. You understand what we're saying? It's pay in the Hebrew, which means tenor mouth terms. It's, it's God's wish. It's his mind about this. It's what he's thinking about this stuff. He says, here's the terms of the covenant I made with you in Israel. Moshe was there with Adonai 40 days, 40 nights, during which time he neither ate nor drank. And the Lord wrote on the tablets the words of the covenant, the ten words. That's the only place it's found that makes any reference whatsoever to ten words or ten commandments. Not in Deuteronomy 5, not in Exodus 20. But right chair, as they say in North Carolina, right chair. It says right chair. You're welcome, Linda. <laughs> He's establishing the terms of the, who's ever bought a car, or bought a home. 
The terms are, the, the covenant, your contract is in a bold, right? you got to make your payment on this date. Then there's a paragraph under it that tells you exactly what that means. From the 1st to the 5th, you're on time. From the 5th to the 10th, it means this. 30 days late, you're going to pay this money. It's what? The terms of the contract. So we get the 613 mitzvahs, the commands. Now the Lord says, hey, I'm giving you, I'm giving you the terms of the covenant. He's telling Moshe what's on his mind, how he wants this to be carried out. Because he didn't do that the first time. He thought they would listen to him. God trusts. We break that trust. It's the tenor or feel of how it's going to be done. Now remember the first two commands in Exodus 20. I'm the Lord thy God, who brought you out of the land of Egypt, out of the house of bondage. You shall have no other gods before me, and thou shalt not make unto thee any graven image. So we're not supposed to be any idolatry. We're not supposed to make any graven images. Here's how you walk these two commands out. Here's the terms. Exodus 34, starting at verse 11. Observe, shamar, guard, protect, Walk out what I'm ordering you to do today. Here I'm driving out of ahead of you the Imorite, Canaanite, the Hittite, the Privy, Prizi, the Hevi, and the Yavushi. I'm driving them out ahead of you. Be careful not to make a covenant with the people living in the land where you're going so they won't become a snare within your own borders. Rather, you're to demolish your altars, smash their standing stones, and cut down their sacred poles. Now, originally, what did he say? Don't make any graven images. Now he says, when you find them, destroy them. Get rid of them. Tear them down. Verse 14, because you are not to bow down to any other God. So far, this whole thing's been about number one. Because you are not to bow down to any other God, since Adonai, whose very name is, what's that say? Jealous. He's a jealous husband. He's a jealous God. He says his name is Jealous. Verse 15, he says it again, don't make covenant with the people living in the land. It will cause you to go astray after their gods and sacrifice to their gods. Then they will invite you to join them in eating their sacrifices. See how this goes? One leads to the next, leads it gets bigger, 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 and bigger. Then you'll take their daughters as wives for your sons. Their daughters will prostitute themselves to their own gods and make your sons do the same. This, there should be bells and ringers going off. Who did this? David's son. Solomon. God said, kings, when, you, when you're going to get a king in the future, they shouldn't buy horses from Egypt. They shouldn't have too many wives. First thing Solomon did was go to Egypt, buy up all them horses out of, out of Egypt, and had over 3,000 wives and concubines from around the world. And got him to start doing what? Sacrificing to those altars. Verse 17, do not cast metal gods for yourselves. It took six verses for Adonai to clarify his first two commands in Exodus 20. Don't make covenant with false gods or those who serve them. Demolish their idols and their pagan religious articles. Don't bow down to their gods because the Lord is extremely jealous. His name is jealous. Don't even intermarry with them. With rare exception, we experience this here as a congregation. You know, Yeshua talked about evenly yoke, right? So we've been taught all along, well, that means a believer to a believer. I'm going to tell you that's not even close to what he means. If we have a young woman, and, and you know, this, is, this isn't 100%, but I'm telling you, this is in the 90 percentile. If we got a handmaiden here, and she marries some dude from somewhere else, we just gained a son. As soon as they get married, guess where he's going? Where she goes. If you got, if we got a fella here, and he marries a woman from somewhere else, we just lost him. Because wherever she goes, that's where he's going. That's written down in your Bible 3,700 years ago. Still holds true today. In Exodus 34, Adonai is teaching us how to walk 
how to live, obey, how to guard his commands, how to raise our children in the way they should go, that they'll mature into godly men and women, not secular humanists. And after those six, the first two, six verses, first two commands, don't worship any of the gods, don't make graven images. Guess what the next one is in Exodus 34? Oh, you're looking at it already. Keep the what? The festival of matzah. By eating matzah as I ordered you for seven days during the month of Aviv. For it was in the month of Aviv that you came out from Egypt. Why is this so high on his mind? Because he wants you to succor. He wants you to remember who brought us out of that place. Who came against all the gods of Egypt? Huh? Who did that? Who, who made it go dark? Who brought in fire from the heaven? Who brought in the angel of death, the slaughterer? Who did that? Who brought six million people? Who put a 90-year-old woman in front of six million people with a tambourine dancing and singing? Who, who did that? He says, I want you every year at this time frame to remember this day. I want you to remember that I'm the God of the supernatural. I want you to know that I'm the Redeemer, the God of salvation. I want you to know that I'm the great I am and there are no others. And I want you to remember that you're not to submit to this world. And I want you to remember to throw away and cast down and destroy the idols in your life. I want you to know that that golden calf is going to cause you 40 years of wandering. That's why he wants you to do that every year, year after year after year. Because hearing it, it's not enough. Come on, man. Come on, man. Oh, that was a powerful word, Rabbi. Sounds good tonight. And tomorrow morning, some of you will be going to go right back to your golden calf. Just like at Mount Sinai. This Moedim, this feast celebration, it's the foundation of the kingdom of God. It's how you live your life biblically according to God's word. It's the foundational knowledge and understanding of the kingdom of God so that when he sent his son 1,700 years later, everyone would understand the foundation. When Yeshua came and he died during Passover, hello, Passover's what? About redemption and salvation. If God's going to save the world, when's he going to do it? During Passover, when his right hand delivered Israel, when his right hand, his son Yeshua delivered you. God used the foundation of Pesach to set us free from the slavery of sin by sending his own Passover lamb, whose mission and journey overlays Pesach and unleavened bread. So many are confused and misunderstand Yeshua and what happens over Passover and the Feast of Matzah because they don't know the foundation, which results in eggs and bunnies. <laughs> you know, I'm not going on a tirade, but when you're not rooted in the truth, what's the result? Bunnies, eggs, and golden calves. Oh, I'm just out of pop. <laughs> huh? Strange fire, that's what it is. Let me say it again, strange fire. Do we acknowledge Yeshua? Matter of fact, he is the focus and the center of Passover. Not a rabbit. Cricket, cricket. You know, we start tweaking on somebody's idol. You know what happens? They get mad. I said this not too long ago. I'll say it again. Remember Gideon tore down his father's Asherah pole? How'd those people wake up the next morning? They wanted to kill him. They were mad. They went right to Gideon's father. Hey, we send him out here. He tore down our pole. And Gideon's father, for probably the first time in his life, stood up and spoke the word of God back to them. Hmm. 
We get strange fire because people haven't yet submitted to God and walked out their relationship with him according to his plan, according to his desire, to his will. Come on now, come on. I, I got it. You know, the big irony is that remember 10 years ago, and there was a big battle over the Ten Commandments and pulling them out of places and doing this and doing it. <laughs> okay. It's really not the Ten Commandments. It's, it's the whole 613. You see the irony? We're going to put everything on the fire. We're going to fight for this. But the actual ten words, we're not going to do it. You guys know what irony is, right? <coughs> Hello? It reminds me of December. The body will raise up, and they are going to fight to the death to say the word Merry Christmas. <laughs> Hello? Why are we fighting over this? It's not even the Bible. See how the enemy gets you? Woo, spun up. And you're just over here like a top. Here's the kingdom of God. Here's you. You can't tell me not to say Merry Christmas. No eggs, Rabbi. No rabbits. Golden cap. Boop, I'd have popped. It's out of cum. I found out humor makes it more palatable than harshness. But it's still truth. Let's rise. I'm going to ask our prayer teams to come. I don't think we've ever been in such a critical season as this. So excited to have the Wittens here Tuesday and Wednesday night. He was banging the nail right on the head. He gave a completely different message on Wednesday. To, to see the culmination of where we're going in this year, the post-Blood Red Moons, the post-Armageddon, uh, if you will, post-Jubilee, post-Year Shemitah, it's all coming to a head very soon. But you know, to participate in Passover, you have to be right with God. In fact, Paul said something in the Brehadashah. He said, the reason so many of you are sick and ill is because you're partaking of what? The matzah and the wine, and your heart's not right with God. We call that communion today, but that's the third cup after the Seder meal. These things of God can't be taken lightly. We just can't, well, we're going to be entertained Sunday night. I pray that's not why you're coming. These are the holy commands of God. These are the ten words. This is the third command. You celebrate matzah in the month of Aviv. To learn to cleanse out the leaven every year from yourself. Rebitzin didn't even begin to start tearing it. You know how hard it is to get the leaven out of your home. From the toaster to underneath the dishwasher to the dog food to the... And so it is with us. See, the problem is we get lukewarm. We're in the kingdom, man. I'm saved. Woo. Just wait until the end. Huh. Are you really? Are you really 110% right with God? Is everything perfect in your life? Are all your relationships perfect? Have you forgiven everybody in your life? Your kids, your parents, your father, somebody who's abused you? Are they, are they really? Are they? I mean, just pause for a second. It's rhetorical. Don't shout out loud. 
Go into the house right here and see what household gods are set up in here. See what pops out when the fire comes. Is it matzah without leaven or is it an Easter egg? Is it the words of Lord of the Lord or is it a golden calf? You know, only you can answer that. But we read it tonight. Guess what's hidden from God? Nothing. Nothing. Haughtiness, pride, arrogance, it's not hidden from him. You may think you've got it buried down here, but it's not buried. It cries out to the Lord. Father, my heart's desire, my prayer this evening is that your Holy Spirit would come and bring conviction that we may repent and stand right with you, that we may be consecrated and sanctified and set apart to partake in this year's Seder meal. Father, there's not been a more critical Seder than the one your son ordained and hosted 2,000 years ago. The world's at a crossroads. If only it would wake up. And, Father, I'm praying that this Seder would be the Seder of of 2 Chronicles 29 and 30, that this would be the Seder of Seders, that this would be the Pesach of Pesach, that your glory would call to all of us, that your fire would fall from heaven, and your kingdom be revealed to a darkened and dying world, that your body would be empowered to go forth as fiery evangelists, that they're altars would be cleansed before you, worthy to receive the Pesach meal. May we honor you and worship you this evening, Father God. As your psalmist says, we will be held accountable for everything. May we lay it down tonight, right now, this very moment. In Yeshua's name we pray. Amen. We pray that this message has brought the truth and reality of God into your personal life. Here at Congregation Zion's sake, we love the living God of Israel and seek Him through His word, worship, and celebration of the biblical feast, God's appointed time. All are welcome to come and worship with us in our Shabbat service every Friday at 7.30 p.m. Israeli worship dance is taught before every service at 6.45 p.m. Congregation Zion's sake is in Ephesians 2.15, one new man, Messianic Jewish congregation, where Jew and Gentile worship together as one in Messiah Yeshua. If you would like to partner with us in sharing Yeshua, please send your love gifts to Congregation Zion's sake, 1233 Shields Road, Newport News, Virginia, 23608. For more information, visit our website at www.zionsake.org or phone us at 757-874-3303. Shalom and may the Lord bless you and keep you. Stay tuned to Solace Radio.